This ceremony was officiated by Jeffrey Shugan Arnold Roshi at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugan Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmn.org. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to have you all here, particularly family and friends who are here to uh, celebrate and witness and be part of Jukai receiving the precepts for a group of students who have been in training as students for a number of years and have been um, training and um, studying to receive the precepts today as vows. And these are the Bodhisattva precepts within the Mahayana tradition that are the vows of, of the Bodhisattva and the Bodhisattva path which is to alleviate suffering and, and realize the inherent peace that exists within all of us, and to do that for ourselves and for all others. And so it goes in all directions. And the Buddha said that these teachings of morality are an essential part of the path, an essential part of the path. Within early Buddhism, he talked frequently about how they, how we live our lives from a moral basis has everything to do with our practice, how we will meditate, the state of our mind and our emotions, how we will respond to ourselves and the world and others. And that all of that will either be in accord with the way and will be supporting and, and encouraging that, or it will all too often work against it. In the Mahayana tradition, <clears throat> all of that is true, and there's the very strong commitment and aspiration to extend that to others in a very real way, so that our presence in this world and our, all of our efforts on this path are having a multiplicity, a variety of influences on others, some seen and recognized and in many ways in which it's not seen and may not be recognized. It's a way of being in the world, very simply. And it's based on the Buddha's enlightenment of the basic lack of any independent existence in anything, in us, in any quality or characteristic we might have, in any action we might commit, in the consequence of that action, in the whole phenomenal world, and that that basic nature of emptiness appears, arises, in all of the ways in which we experienced things in the world, inside and outside. And that those two aspects of reality are unified all the time, in everything. Prajnaparamita. And when we live in that understanding, in that union, then we are living and experiencing things and acting in accord with the way the rest of the world is all the time. And so how appropriate and auspicious that we are celebrating these vows today as we also celebrate Earth Day. And as we also are within this ongo of birth and death, where all of this is all part of one thing. Because of that basic realization of the Buddha, the precepts, these moral teachings, too, are empty of any fixed characteristics. 
And so while they may appear as though they, as a list of rules, and can be understood in that way and have positive effect, they are not. They are not rules. They are not fixed by or bound by anything, by themselves, by time and place, because compassion itself has no fixed form. Reality has no fixed form, and yet these precepts are not ambiguous, ambivalent, relativistic. And so the gravity, as well as the joy of this day of giving and receiving vows, is at a time, and maybe it's always been such a time, but in our time, where the very active proliferation of what Buddhism calls the poisons, greed, anger, delusion, pride, jealousy, fear, hatred, and the, we might even say, enshrining, making casual, making money from those afflictive emotions, that it is so important that there be people in the world, Buddhist and non-Buddhist, who want to live in a different way and who want to be active in the world in such a way to not be adding more of that madness and confusion, but actually trying to mediate it or alleviate, alleviate it. That's why the Buddha was, has often been likened to a great healer. The Dalai Lama said, we're living in an age in which, from a spiritual point of view, conditions have deteriorated. People are more and more intelligent in a certain way and inventive, but the quality people often lack is true human goodness, the simple, basic quality of human goodness, of kindness, respect, dignity, and that our intelligence is used in more and more destructive ways. And so today is one um, response to that, both for the five of you who are receiving the vows, but also for all of us, because we're all part of this today. And I wanted to acknowledge that in addition to the four students who are here, we have another student, Mary Bozikowski, who is joining us from home, uh, where she is living with ALS, and so she's not able to join us here in person. But she has been joining us during the week as we've been meeting and, and for teachings and, and discussion. And uh, Taikyo, one of our monastics, will be sitting in today as her proxy. And then after lunch, right after lunch, I will be going to her house because she lives locally and bringing her her Raksu and lineage chart and the other things that she's receiving today. So we're delighted to have you here today with us, Mary. So the students will begin by making a series of bows, and these bows are a recognition of the streams by which they have come here today. So the first set of bows is to the Buddha, our first teacher, the original, original teacher in our tradition. And next they will bow to their parents, and if their parents are not here, they'll go into the Buddha hall and and bow in the direction in which their parents live, or um, if they're deceased, have been buried or interred. And this is obviously to recognize their um, blood lineage, their genetic lineage. 
And in recognizing our ancestors, let's also recognize the unseated people of the Mohican Lenape, people who lived on these lands for thousands and thousands of years. And then the final series of bows is to the preceptor, Kaishi, who in today is myself. In Buddhist practice, there's an ongoing and daily frequent recognition of our mutual dependence, of all that we are dependent upon for everything. And in these specific ways in terms of the Dharma. And now we'll invoke the three treasures, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, which represent the Buddha, historical Buddha, Shakyamuni, but all enlightened beings, the Dharma, which are the teachings, and all phenomenal reality, because all phenomenal reality are living expression of those teachings in their basic nature, and the Sangha, which is both the Buddha Sangha, our Sangha, the larger Sangha, but also everyone, because all everyone uh, possesses Buddha nature. And so in this we are invoking the three treasures. And these three treasures ultimately are to be realized as oneself. So Choki. I'll be doing this uh, three times. Be one with the Buddha in the <clears throat> ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyadashi. Be one with Taiso Josadashi. Be one with the successive great ancestors. Be one with the Buddha in the ten directions. Be one with the Dharma in the ten directions. Be one with the Sangha in the ten directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyadashi. Be one with Taiso Josadashi, be one with the successive great ancestors, be one with the Buddha in the ten directions, be one with the Dharma in the ten directions, be one with the Sangha in the ten directions, be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva, be one with Koso Joyadashi, be one with Taiso Josadashi, be one with the successive great ancestors. Okay. So that invocation is really the invocation of all the enlightened beings within the Buddhist path. Next we'll do the Goth of Atonement. So in taking vows, we want to begin fresh, anew. And so the Goth of Atonement is a way to acknowledge any hurtful, negative karma, which is voiced here, is expressed here as evil karma, because it's understood to encompass anything that we've done, which has the range from very small to very large in its negative effect. And traditionally, not just in this lifetime, but in all the lifetimes we might have lived all throughout history, throughout the world, 
the universe. And so we're taking responsibility for that. Because until we do, we can't really move forward. We can't really transform our life within the, the body of these precepts as they are intended to do, because we're dragging things along with us that have not been attended to. And so all evil karma ever committed by me since of old on account of my greed, anger, delusion, those afflictive emotions that are the basis from which we act out and generally cause suffering and sadness. Born in my body, mouth, and thought, these are the three wheels, the most the powerful forces that we bring into the world every day that affect change, that cause, bring forth actions, that cause consequence, that affect ourselves and others. And now I atone for it, all of this karma that I've created. And atonement here really does mean to, to unify, to be one with, to not separate, distance, blame, excuse, just to simply take responsibility for our actions. Whatever the circumstances, even if those circumstances were very difficult and may have had a role in, in, in sort of challenging us to act better because it was difficult to do so, even so, we still take responsibility for the actions that we have caused, we have brought forth, because that's what we can do. And in that, that burden, that entanglement, begins to be unknotted and released. And it also then allows us to repair, if repair is needed and would be helpful, and then to move forward. Rather than accumulating, we are trying to drop off these burdens. So we'll do this three times. Um, and the Sangha is invited to echo each time, call and response. So everybody please go show. You're joking. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. On account to my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. On account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. My body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. <clears throat> the next is Shaswi. And in most, so many traditions, there is a water ritual. Water being seen as an essence of life, life itself, and also a um, something that in and of itself is pure and clear and is often used as a 
purifying and used in a purifying ritual. This is something different. This here, because of Buddha nature, there is original, we might say original purity. There is no fundamental um, defilement. But here, this is more pointing to the, the mind that is present within each one of us, the Buddha mind that is present with each one of us, and that that is what is transmitted down generation to generation in formal ways and in everyday ways. refuge in the Buddha, having invoked the three treasures, will take refuge in the three treasures, which is a, a sort of a, a fundamental, perhaps the fundamental Buddhist practice, Buddhist teaching. It's present in everything that we do. It is what makes all that we do Buddha Dharma, that it is based in the three treasures. It is the beginning of taking refuge, I mean, of receiving the precepts. It was originally how the Buddha ordained his monastics. It runs all through everything that we do, the Buddha Dharma and Sangha, taking refuge, as Dogen speaks of it, is to unreservedly, without any hesitation, with complete trust, to rely upon Buddha Dharma and Sangha. And so it is a practice, it is something based in faith, but it needs to be verified. And then ultimately what we're taking refuge in is, as the Buddha made very clear, is ourselves. And in doing that, we're taking refuge in everything and everyone. So we'll do this three times. The second time through, we'll do it in call and response, and everyone is invited to take refuge. Okay. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. Refuge in the Dharma, honorable for his purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. Taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma. 
honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. Will you maintain this? I bow. I to take refuge in the three treasures. Just one bow, please. And now the three pure precepts. The pure precepts are really the guiding teachings, guiding principles of how to be in the world as an awakened being, as an awakening being. To cause no harm, to live within these virtuous qualities that we all possess, that are a manifestation of our Buddha nature and are expressed through the precepts themselves. And to make sure that the life that we're living is actually having a direct and tangible effect on others. That it's actually helping. Not just in our dreams, not just in our aspirations, not just in our meditative practices, but actually in what we're doing. How we interact with people, what we're giving our energies to, how we move through the world. We are small, each of us, and in that way, kind of insignificant. But we're not in, we're without influence. We have influence. And that's not optional. <laughs> it's not optional. We have influence because here we are in the world, as actors in the world. And so the pure precepts are bringing our attention to that and really asking us to come forward in that. So the first, you know, Shoki. The first of the pure precepts is to not create evil. And this precept makes it clear that evil and all harm doing does not just exist in the world. There is no inherently evil force in the world from a Buddhist perspective. It arises in our consciousness, we act upon it, and then there's consequence. So this precept is saying, practice in such a way that we're not giving rise to that. We're not bringing that forth. Dogen said, this is the abiding place of all Buddhas. This is the very source of all Buddhas. Do not create evil. Will you maintain this? I vow to not create evil. The second vow is to practice good, which again means to practice with your basic goodness, the virtues that you all possess because you're human beings, you have human consciousness, and moreover, because you have Buddha nature, you have Buddha mind. Buddhism believes that every living thing leans towards, inclines towards life and all that affirms life. In our confusion, we often go opposite to that. And we make sense of that in our deluded mind. But fundamentally, our, our basic drive is towards goodness. And so this second pure precept is to practice that, bring that out, strengthen it, cultivate it. So much of practice is, is discovering how to do that. So much of the teachings is constantly pointing to that. Dogen said, this is the Dharma of Samyak Sambodhi, perfect enlightenment. This is the way of all beings. Practice good. Will you maintain this? I vow to practice good. And one of the beautiful things about that vow is that it doesn't have any specific direction or object which means it's every direction and every object. It doesn't specify a time, which means it's all time. 
The third pure precept is to actualize good for others. And so, as I said, this is to ensure that our actions are directly influencing others. That we have that capacity. We are influencing them. That is what is not optional. How are we influencing them? That's our study. That's our concern. That's our responsibility that we take on willingly. It's not actually possible to not be responsible. But in our mind, we can abdicate that. So this is a choice. This is a, a commitment to, to not choosing that false path. Dogen said, this is to transcend the profane and to be beyond the holy. This is to liberate oneself and others, actualize good for others. Will you maintain this? I vow to actualize good for others. An important part of the teachings within our both tradition and more specifically our lineage is that there are different perspectives on these on these teachings, that there is a, what we might think of as a literal perspective, where we really try to live accord, in accord with these teachings as they are spoken and received, as they are said to be lived. But that if we adhere to those too tightly as rules, then they become, can become dogmatic and rigid and not meet an ever-changing moment, right? A complexity of a situation which demands more non-dual response, right? In other words, if we adhere to them as rules, then they can become dualistic and fixed. And that's how morality in a religion can become self-righteous and dangerous. And so the second perspective of the Mahayana perspective is that when, because of compassion and reverence for life and the desire to actually manifest that, to adhere strictly to that rule, to that precept as a rule, would actually violate the spirit of the precept then we need to look at it in a different way. And so sometimes it may seem, for instance, with the precept of not being angry, sometimes anger can be brought forth in a way that is actually trying to serve the good of others. When it's not self-centered, when it's not with ill will, when it's not trying to harm, but is actually trying to heal something. And so it has that perspective. And then the third perspective is that fundamentally they're all based in the, in the reality of emptiness that within the non-fixed nature of all things, things appear. But understanding and trying to bring, realize and bring forth that as a unified reality is ultimately what the precepts are pointing to. So the great precepts, as we continue, are how those pure precepts are lived. And, and specifically, what are the particular things that we as human beings have a proclivity to do? Right? What are the things that in every generation, in every culture, we tend to fall into when we are grasping at self, when we're self-centered, when we're upset, when we're not clear, when we put ourselves first? And so these are, in a sense, universal teachings about the, the sort of habits of ways of being that human beings keep bringing forth into the world, and then how to transform those. And so they have an aspect which is a kind of ceasing that negative stream of action and, and transforming that into a more life-affirming stream. Okay, joking. So the first of the, pure, of the grave precepts is to affirm life, to not kill, recognizing that everything in the universe, from a Buddhist perspective, certainly from a Zen perspective, has life, even things that appear inanimate. And they have a role. They have come into this world through causes and conditions, and they have a role to play in this world. We may not understand that, 
but they do. And so to love all life and to have regard and respect for all things and that to recognize that our basic nature is non-harming, which is really understood in every culture, although not always lived. But if that's our nature, then why is there so much anger and hatred and violence? Well, that's our delusion. Those are our attachments. That is not a clear mind. That is not an open heart. That is not a, a wisdom action. Recognizing that every creature completes and fulfills itself wherever it is. It has its own virtue. It deserves to have its own life. When we kill and steal that away in a self-serving way, then we're violating this precept. That's why in the practice of Oriyoki, when we take meals, there's so much liturgy around that, whether it's animal food or non-animal food, we are taking life. And so we take on a responsibility about how to affirm life in response to that. By receiving life, we have to give some life back. Dogen said, life is non-killing. The seed of Buddha grows continuously. Maintain the wisdom life of Buddha and do not kill life. Vow to affirm life, do not kill. Will you maintain this? I vow to affirm life, I will not kill. So traditionally, this points most directly at human life and then on to sentient life, but we can understand it in all kinds of taking, uh, killing something that is, has life. The second grave precept is to be giving, to not steal. Giving is one of the most important and first and essential practices in Buddha Dharma. It's the first of the paramitas, the practices of the bodhisattva. In a way, it's so important because it's fairly easy to do. We always have something to give. And giving moves in a language that everyone understands. It can be understood without words. And it can be given in a way that is very small, very simple, or very large. In Buddhism, it's the mind of giving that is most important. And that in that, both the giver and the receiver are transformed and ultimately transformed by realizing that, that it is a selfless giving and receiving. And so this precept is about cultivating a mind of generosity rather than attachment, of giving rather than, than taking. Dogen says, the mind and externals are just thus, always, in every moment. The gate of liberation is open. Vow to be giving, do not steal. Will you maintain this? I am bound to be giving. I will not steal. The third great precept is to honor the body, to not misuse sexuality. <clears throat> so this recognizes that sexual energy, desire, is in every living thing. Go outside and look around. Right? It's springtime. It's everywhere. It is life itself. Within the human realm, right? it can bring forth life, literally, it can bring forth love and trust and faith, but it can also destroy all of those things. And so it's a very powerful force, and the question is, how is it used? And this is true whether we're sexually active or not, because that energy exists within us. It may be quiet, it may be strong, but how do we use these forces? That's really what the precepts are pointing to. They're pointing to these forces, these winds, these influences that move within us, these currents, they can again bring life or they can take it away. And so to honor the body, to not misuse sexuality, is really recognizing that the body, 
this body and the, and the phrasing of this includes the whole person, physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, historically, all that they are, all the ways in which they appear in the world. And that to, to work with this energy, work with this precept in a way that that energy is life-giving, is healing, is bringing us together. And to not reduce a person to an object, to an idea, right? Which, which in its very action makes us dangerous towards another. Dogen says the three wheels body, mouth, and mind, greed, anger, and ignorance, are pure and clean. Fundamentally, nothing is desired. Go the same way as the Buddha. Honor the body, do not misuse sexuality. Will you maintain this? I am bound to honor the body. I will not misuse sexuality. And you know, this precept is, this is a little tricky, right? Because sexuality is is pleasurable. And so how to enter into that dynamic of pleasure, which is, you know, is feeding desire, but without it being self-centered in a way that is hurting others. The fourth great precept is to manifest truth, do not lie. The whole of the Buddhist path is about this. What is true? What is real? What is false? The first of the Eightfold Path is right understanding, true understanding, to, to deal with our false understanding. The Buddha said that we can use language in such a way that creates deceptiveness. We see this writ large, and we see the profound influence that this has when deceptiveness becomes institutionalized, when it becomes normal. From a Buddhist perspective, we are on very, very precarious ground. When these precepts are no longer understood as essential virtues to be respected and to be valued, but rather become themselves subjects of suspicion. And that's why you are here today. That's why this is so important. When we open the Dharma, we see that everything is true in its fundamental, uh, fundamental nature. Nothing exists in a state of deception in itself. This is something we do with our mind. And so the way is the path of seeing through all fast, falseness and living in accord with things. And when we do that, I mean, in a very simple way, it basically feels good. <laughs> and when we don't, it doesn't. If we're paying attention, if we're close enough to feel it, to be sensitive to that. And so this precept is also saying, let us not be afraid of what is true. And we might think as practitioners, of course we're not afraid, but we do turn away. We retreat in the face of it. And so this is a commitment to move forward. Dogen says, the Dharma wheel unceasingly turns, and there is neither excess nor incompleteness. Sweet dew permeates the universe. Gain the essence. Realize the truth. A vow to manifest truth, to not lie. Will you maintain this? I vow to manifest truth. I will not lie. And one of the reasons these precepts is so important, these precepts are so important, is because we don't always live them. Right? Obviously. 
we don't always live them. And so they're training precepts. They are here. We take these vows because we know that we will not always live in accord with them. And the Dharma embraces that, has room for that, right? If it didn't, we couldn't do it. We couldn't practice it. And so it both embraces all of the sort of negative, let's say, capacity that we have, but also challenges us, invites us to aspire to what we actually are. And so in that way, they include the whole spectrum of possibility. And in that way, there is no time or place, no moment in which these precepts are absent. They can become absent in our mind, but they are never absent. And in any moment, no matter how far away you may be, when you turn towards them, you will see them right there. The fifth grade precept is to proceed clearly, to not cloud the mind. So in a way, this comes very naturally after the precept of, of not speaking falsely, because it's about realizing that the whole mind is true. The basic mind is true, is not false, even when it's bringing forth falseness. It itself is not false, but is rather clear and bright, luminous, radiant. Think of all of these adjectives that are used in Buddha Dharma to try and describe the brilliance of, the, of our basic mind, our basic mind. And so when we encounter the real self, the true self, we actually no longer seek to turn away, which we can do with various forms of clouding the mind, intoxication, getting drunk, getting high. But we have many, many ways to cloud the mind, to blur, to numb, to distract. And this precept can be, help us with all of that. Everywhere you go, you find yourself. There is nowhere else to go. You can't leave it behind, right? There is no island, right, of escape. And so when we really understand that, it's actually quite wonderful. Because then all that energy can go directly into the heart of the matter. The mind is the originally pure and clear Buddha mind. Do not let it become cloudy. Do not be defiled. Vow to proceed clearly. Do not cloud the mind. We maintain this. I vow to proceed clearly. I will not cloud the mind. The next precept is to see the perfection. Do not speak of errors, others' errors and faults. Some of these precepts are so powerful because if we commit one action, like taking a human life, right, the karma of that is profound. Some of these are important because while in one action, that action may not seem to be of that great consequence, those uh, precepts like this is something that we might do over and over and over again. And in that way, create quite a significant karmic path. And so we need to, at times, see and recognize and speak about others' errors and faults. And so this precept means when necessary to do so, and, and let's not do so unless it's necessary, but when necessary to do so, do so from compassion. You know, it's not from a place of anger or will, not trying to hurt, but actually, and gaining no pleasure. Right? It's, not like, it's like not going to the trough of speaking of others' errors and faults as a way of feeling better about ourselves. And that that's in, in that, speaking of others' errors and faults, we create a sense of otherness, of not me, which is the basis of all forms of violence, of all bias, of all the ways in which we categorize people in a sense of solid value, solid characteristics, which is a false view. 
in order to do harm. And so here there are short Buddhas and tall Buddhas, fast and slow Buddhas, right? There is falling and rising, right? And there is the mind that is not discriminating. Bring forth that mind. Vow to see the perfection, do not speak of others' errors and faults. Will you maintain this? I vow to see the perfection, and I will not speak of others' errors and faults. Master Dogi said, in the midst of the Buddha Dharma, we are the same way, the same Dharma, the same realization, the same practice. Do not destroy the way. The next precept is to realize self and other is one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. The sense of self is something that create, the con our consciousness does. That's not a problem. Having a sense of oneself is not a problem. It's that we impute into it a sense of solidity, eternality, a soul, and ourself, an identity that we then will inevitably cling to and push others either towards or against. And so this precept is based in their understanding of, of selflessness, emptiness, which means there is no high and low. There is no, there's no superior or inferior in the way. We can create that inner mind. If we do, do it because it's helpful. But understand that there's no intrinsic high or low amongst people or things. And when there is no self-clinging, then we ourselves are no longer carried along, elevated or dashed down by praise or blame. We can learn from it, but we don't live for it. Each person is complete, fulfilling their own virtue. Profoundly trust in oneself and others. Buddhas and ancestors realize the absolute emptiness and realize the whole earth, Dogen says. When the great body is manifested, there is no outside, outside or inside. When the Dharma body is manifested, there is no square inch of earth upon which to stand. What would you elevate? Vow to realize self and other is one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Will you maintain this? I vow to realize self and other is one. I will not elevate the self and blame others. And this is, you know, one of the most, can be one of the most difficult practices. To love your enemy, to have compassion and see the dignity and have respect for someone, even if you disagree with them deeply. Right? To realize that a view, an opinion, an action is not a person. The next precept is to give generously, to not be withholding. So there is... To be giving, to not steal, to take what doesn't belong to us. And here, there's giving generously to not be withholding of what you have to give. That all of us can always, in any moment, offer something. And in that way, this precept really challenges us to see that, to, to examine what can I offer right now. Oftentimes we get stuck in having a fixed idea. That, oh, if I had this, or if I was in this position, or if this person was willing, then I could give. But if those aren't so, then I, I can't. And what this, this precept is saying is that that is, is never an absolute truth. There's always something that we can offer. Recognizing that giving is life. And so to be withholding, we create a cycle of stinginess, of confinement and anxiety. When we give generously, that frees us of that story, that narrative of never enough, not enough.
And we see that it's so much better to live simply and deeply than it is to be burdened with what we treasure too much. And now we can enjoy what we have without fearing losing it. One phrase, one verse, 10,000 forms, 100 grasses, one dharma, one realization, all Buddhas, all ancestors. Since the beginning, there never has been anything to withhold. Give generously. Do not be withholding. Will you maintain this? I vow to give generously. I will not be withholding. <clears throat> the ninth precept is to actualize harmony, not be angry. So do not be greedy, withholding, do not be angry. Anger arises within us because we have seeds of anger within us. It is not something that anyone can actually give to us or cause in us, although people can influence us in ways that anger comes forth more freely. And so to be aware of how we can be that person who is encouraging anger to rise in another, and that when someone else may be in that position and we're under their influence, that the anger is ours and ours to take responsibility for. And to live within anger is like a slow-burning fire. It can bring down the house or a fast-burning fire. It can bring down the house but if used without self-clinging, it can be like thunder that calls someone's attention. So where do we find ourselves within the arising of that anger? That's the challenge of the precept. To be selfless within bringing forth thought, words, and actions. And so the bodhisattva is earnest about liberation. You know, in other words, we take ourselves lightly, but we take our liberation and our path seriously because we're having effect in this world. And so to not be afraid within a conflict to make a move, to make the first move, right? To, to be committed to not living within grudges and resentments and bitterness, which is like a slow burning fire. It is not regressing, it is not advancing, it is not real, it is not unreal. There is an illuminated cloud ocean, there is an ornamented cloud ocean. Vow to actualize harmony, do not be angry. Will you maintain this? I vow to actualize harmony, I will not be angry. And in that comment by Dogen, he really makes a point to acknowledge the, the apparent truth of, of anger. It arises so that it is not ignored or denied, but also to point to its fundamental nature. And the last of the great precepts is dealing with our delusion. To experience the intimacy of things, to not defile the three treasures. Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, as I spoke earlier, are the body and mind, the lifeblood, the life force of the Buddha Dharma. It's the heart essence, essence of every being. And so ultimately, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is not strictly or specifically or exclusively for Buddhists. They are what brings the precepts into the house of Buddha, Dharma, into the Eightfold Path, into the mind of Nirvana. And when we turn against the three treasures, against the Dharma, against the teachings, against the teacher, against the Sangha, we should stop. This precept should get our attention and stop, and we should just ask our question, ask ourselves the question, how am I doing? Right? 
What's going on? In the moment when we see ourselves turning our attention outwards, right? Our practice is to turn it inward and try and see what is happening, right? What are we externalizing that we would want to defile, to injure, to bring harm to our own home, our own body and mind? Living the Dharma with the whole body and mind is the heart of wisdom and compassion. All virtues return to the ocean of reality. You should not comment on them. Just practice them. Realize them. Actualize them. Vow to experience the intimacy of things. Do not defile the three treasures. Will you maintain this? I vow to experience the intimacy of things. I will not defile the three treasures. These 16 precepts, the three treasures, the three pure precepts, and the 10 great precepts have been handed down by Shakyamuni Buddha generation after generation to my teacher, to myself, and now I give them to you. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you truly maintain them well? I will. So all week, these students have been sewing this raksu, which is a robe of liberation. And this goes all the way back into the Chan, our origins in China. The robe of the Buddha. The lineage of the ancestors. Mountains and Rivers Order, Doshinji. This is to certify that Michael Kopp, having fulfilled the um, training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 23rd day of April received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the Raksu, the Lineage Chart, and the Dharma name Gashen, Shugen Preceptor, Kodo Shugen Preceptor. the blood lineage of the ancestors. This is to certify that Malcolm Barrett, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements of the Mountain Monastery and the Mount Sinners Order, has on this 23rd day of April, 2023, received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the lineage chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Chose. certify that Mary Bozakowski, having fulfilled the training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 23rd day of April received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the lineage chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Juyu. The ancestors. 
Deborah Hovland, Gosho, having fulfilled the precepts training requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this 23rd day of April received the 16 precepts of the Bodhisattva Path, the Lineage Chart, the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Kyoshin. I should mention that the Lineage Chart that they're receiving is a, a, a visual, a, a graphic um, expression of the lineage that begins with the Buddha and goes all the way down through our particular lineage. And so Mazuma Roshi, Dada Roshi, myself, and then the, the recipient, the, the one taking vows, is also added to that list of entering into this path of the Bodhisattva. The Buddha's robe. This is to acknowledge this God Forster, having fulfilled the precepts, training, requirements of the Mountains and Rivers Order, as on this 23rd day of April, received the 16 precepts of the Buddha Way, the lineage chart of the Raksu, and has been given the Dharma name Jokai. Please, God, show. You're choking. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddhas. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. Now they will be led by the Jisha who will take them through the Zendo and giving all of us an opportunity to acknowledge their having taken vows and in that sense welcoming them, congratulating them on, on this important step that they are taking. And if we appreciate that while this is an important step for their, these students, of course, that in, in, because of the vows themselves, it's also an important day for all of us, right? Because all of us will benefit. That's what we can do for each other. So before we finish up, let me just say a word about your names. So Michael, Gashin. The first character, Ga, means self, oneself. 
And that self is fundamentally unborn and undying, free of all characteristics, time and place, history. But it arises, or and it arises, within your mind, within consciousness. We give it a name. It takes on characteristics and qualities. And that's how we come to know you. That's how you come to know yourself. In each moment, that self is being experienced. By whom? The great inquiry of Buddha Dharma is just this. We see that sense of self within ourselves and others. So there it is. But what is the nature of it? Why is it that we get so bound up in something that has no material existence? It cannot be found when we look for it. And so something is there in God. But what is its true nature? Shin is the character for what is true, what is real, what is authentic, which are questions. What is true? What is real? What is authentic? Who can know this? How do you come to know this? And is, no, is it even within the realm of knowing or not knowing? And so to practice Shin is to become ad adept at recognizing the self as it arises, when it is skillful, when it is not skillful, when it is true, when it is not true. And to bring forth Kashin, the true, authentic self, which is already present, has always been present before today, it has not increased by the virtue of your taking vows. It was not lacking before you have taken vows. Before you even came here, before you even arrived in this world, it was present. So Gashin, this path of inquiry, what is this authentic self? Malcolm Chose, we have another Chose, He's in New Zealand. He's one of our New Zealand students, so there probably won't be that many opportunities for confusion. But it's different characters. So it's different characters, different meaning, just the sound is the same. So Cho means morning, the bright, delicious morning. It's a beginning, it's fresh, it's new. This day, this morning has never in the history of the world occurred before. It is not like any other. And because it appears every day, though, we can fall into thinking that we know it. It can seem to be dull. It can bring forth patterns and habit. We can meet it not as something beautiful and delicious. But because it is always new in itself, limitless in its nature, we can meet it. Say is spirit. Vitality, not spirit as in a spirit ghost, but in the aliveness, key, the basic life force that we all possess, but can become dull and dim. It is the great enthusiasm for the Bodhisattva path, for Dharma, for practice. It's virya, the paramita of joyful enthusiasm, joyful effort that arise at practice, though sometimes difficult, we should try and keep it from getting into a, a head state of being a burden. I have to practice. I have to be aware. <laughs> right? Like it's homework. Right? It's something we don't want. It's something that is not life-giving. 
Yeah, sometimes it's difficult. But that's why this say is so important to tap into, to bring forth that love for life. So just as the morning comes each day, whatever state the world is in, whatever state the sky, the weather, or ourselves are in, it is morning. Jose is awakening each day to that awakened world within the path of awakening. Jose, morning spirit. Mary, your name is Juyu. And Ju means gentle, without aggression, at peace, without conflict. It's not passive. And because it's gentle and soft, that doesn't mean that it is not strong and does not have influence. It is just without conflict and aggression. It is like a soft breeze that can be soft but bring life to the mountain, traveling far and wide. It's not hindered. It can be like a fire burning that brings gentle warmth to the one who comes in from the cold. Jew is a state of mind. It's a way of being. It's a response to suffering. You means courage, fearlessness, which ultimately is to profoundly trust in ourselves, in yourself. It is abiding completely with our own state in our own time, which is changing every day, every moment, in our own place and within our own condition. And from within those inescapable truths to come forth, to meet them within that gentle heart, that open heart, that peacefulness that exists within us that is not always peaceful as it appears within us, but always that basis is there and we can bring it forth. And so this fearlessness is, to, is sometimes sitting without fear and anxiety is absent of fear. fear. This fearlessness is sometimes sitting within fear and anxiety, but meeting it within that open heart. And you know, the most courageous people, as far as I can tell, do not know they are courageous. They don't know it. That is part of their courage. They are simply attending to what is at hand. So Juyu is gentle, Courage, gentle fearlessness. Kyoshin is, Kyo is the character for mirror, which is a, a very beautiful and frequently used um, image in Buddha Dharma to represent your mind, the basic state of your mind as a great mirror. It's the mirror of samadhi. In a mirror, like a mirror, it doesn't favor, it doesn't reject, it has no preferences. It just simply reflects whatever stands before it perfectly. Even when it has dust on it, the mirror itself is not dusty. That dust does not change or in any way alter the basic clarity of the mirror itself. It's always clear and bright. Master Dongshan, in his jewel mirror of Samadhi, said, it is a standard, this mirror is a standard for all beings used to extricate them from suffering. Although it takes no action, this mind, it is not without words. It does respond. Like gazing into the jewel mirror, form and reflection view each other. You are not her, but she is clearly you. Shin is a different shin. 
than Gashin. It's not the same character. And this Shin means heart, mind, as one, unified. And it also has a, a quality of spirit, your vitality. And because heart, mind is unified in all of reality in you, there is compassion. There can be compassion in our thoughts and ideas. And there is, is intelligence and incisiveness in our feelings and emotions. Wisdom reveals the true Dharma body, free of qualities and attributes. Compassion expresses that wisdom through this true body, which shows up with characteristics and attributes. And so Kyoshin is to cultivate the natural peace that is the nature of every person and your mind and to offer that mirror to all. Kyoshin. And Scott, your name, Jokai. Joe is a character meaning careful, steady, and steadily. Step by step, it is how the path is traversed, like climbing a mountain, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, throughout our lives. How does a mountain stream find its way to the ocean? How does a great oak extend its broad branches towards the sky? How does a bodhisattva walk a path of liberation? Joe is careful, steady, steady in body and mind, in intention and aspiration, in sitting and walking. And in this way, there's no barrier, no obstruction, no discouragement or frustration that ultimately can stop that river from finding its way. Kai means to unravel, to resolve, to untie, to understand deeply, to understand that there is no essential problem. There is fundamentally no delusion. There is fundamentally no entanglement. But in the body and mind, they appear. We cannot deny that. And so, as the Buddha said, we must untie that knot disentangle that entanglement. We untie a knot that is actually fundamentally unbinding. We untangle a web that is actually miraculous in its display. We unravel and understand a mystery that has always been before our eyes, steadily crossing to the other shore in every moment, in every moment is arriving. Jokai, steady undoing. And so in receiving these vows together in the presence of the Sangha, people that you care about and people who care about you, you have entered into a profound implication of living a life dedicated to awakening, to manifesting compassion, and a path that is fundamentally without rule. But this no rule, while not rigid, is not relativistic, as I said before, is not ambiguous. If we are not clear how it is clear, the path, the Dharma, the precepts, then we are not clear. That's all. We are not clear. The teachings, the Dharma is always clear. And that is our practice, is to see that clarity. These precepts have been given to you today. They, they are now yours to practice, to be embodied, to cultivate, to strengthen. And so in making vows today, that is the vow that you are taking. 
You are living a li a, now in a living link, a living continuum since the time of the Buddha that has come all the way down in just this way. In just this way. This is how it has come down to us. This is how it will come down to those in the future. And so in that way, your lives have changed and will continue to be changed, as will ours. And may you bring forth your vows and your practice and your aliveness in such a way that illuminates your lives and everyone that you touch and all of us and this great earth. May your lives go well. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about our ongoing programs and residency opportunities, visit ZMM.org.